Welcome, George. Yes. Well, we've got a great turnout this evening. And Good. Lots of great questions. So welcome. Uh, welcome, everyone, uh, for tonight's mastermind call with Mr. George Ross. I've known George for five or six years now, and uh, there's no one else like him on the planet. Uh, <laughs> I, I look forward to these calls every month, George, and the wisdom, the experience that you bring to the table is second to none. So everyone get your journals and pen and pencil ready, take lots of notes, and let's get started. Okay. Well, George, obviously the New York Times continues to batter Donald and now Don Jr. and Jared Kushner. What are your thoughts on what's going on, and what can Donald do to redirect the narrative onto more success? Nothing. Nothing. He can't do anything at that point. They're gonna they're gonna do what they want, and then they're they're gonna go. He's uh, the, the more that they 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 do this, the more uh, the, the ratings they get. The news. There's nothing there. There's no concern, but it's just something to talk about, which is which they need. So uh, there's no real exposure. It's just that it's a uh, it's it is. He says it's a witch hunt, and that's what it is. But uh, it's uh, anytime you talk of Russia, everybody gets upset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, indeed. So that's what it is. There's no way he's going to stop it. No, it's okay. just it's one of these things you're going to, they're going to have to live with. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's uh, it, it's just making the country more and more polarized by the day. And uh, well, it is. It's uh, well, it's, I understand it's toxic. But probably the basic problem came with that a lot of the Republicans don't like him because of the fact they think he's a Democrat that stole the Republican Party, which is partially true. On some of with some of his thoughts, the Democrats hate him. Figure he stole the election. The media hates him because uh, the polls were all wrong. And uh, you know, there's no way you're going to plus the fact that uh, Donald is very controversial. He says what's on his mind, which uh, he doesn't know when to when not to talk. Uh, so <laughs> he's very thin-skinned. So Ed, put it all together, and you got what's going on. And the problem is, is uh, we don't have anybody running the country, really, as far as the Congress is concerned or the presidency. It's just a, a big mess. Yeah, indeed. So they could be doing something much more constructive, but not they're not. But let's move on. Okay, right on. All right, so the first question is from Matt. Uh, Matt, you're on the line. George, how are you? Hi, how are you, Matt? Not too bad. Thanks for taking our call. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure. My first question, well, my, my question is, um, I've been talking, my partner and I have been talking with a local business owner um, who's also somewhat of a friend of mine. I've known him for a few years, who is expanding into commercial real estate. He's already des- developed successfully one strip mall or a plaza and is looking to expand the number of malls across the city. He's currently working on another one right now, but he's looking to possibly do about nine. He's asked us to help him find the land for these malls. He's mm-hmm. given us a list of requirements. Um, has avoided discussing the details of the relationship. For instance, uh, he states he pays a good finder's fee, that he will pay better if the property is better, but won't commit to putting down money to us right away because mm-hmm. he says he can get it to us within 24 hours so we can lock up the property. That kind of puts us in an awkward position since we can't tie up the property ourselves and then wholesale it to him. We have to act out of faith that he was going to pay us. Um, yeah. We're trying to figure out what sort of agreement we should have with him and what the should, agreement should detail, like a finder's fee percentage, a money down, um, that kind of thing. Now, we're not realtors either. Um, we're real estate investors as well. Yeah. And uh, 
we're we're just trying to figure out what kind of an assignment of contract we're trying to figure out. Well, I don't I I don't think to go and assign the contract. Basically, what you're acting is or what you want to act want you to be is a finder, and that's yeah. fine. And you as a finder, you can get a finder's fee, but you can't be a broker because you're not a licensed real estate broker. Exactly. So uh, what I would get from him uh, or set up the, the parameters of a, what type of a deal he wants, what okay. the, uh, the, the, you know, you know, what the size of the deal is concerned, how many dollars, what kind of a deposit he would be willing to put up if he's got the right deal and uh, where he wants it. And uh, you go out and find it. And if you, and, in the event that he enters into a contract, then you're going to get paid a finder's fee, and that usually is a percentage of the uh, the, the purchase price. Yeah, so should we try to get something like a letter? But I wouldn't take an assignment of a contract. I wouldn't take any personal liability at all. Okay. Don't okay, don't so middleman it. No. Now, like a letter, like a letter of intent, basically, is what I'm trying to call it. Yeah. With our, yeah, a letter of intent as to what 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 you're what you're supposed to do, and the ultimate decision is his. Or theirs, okay. whoever it may be. So they make it. Do they have the right to to say yes, or they have the right to say no, and they have the right to uh, negotiate the deal on their own. And all you do is you 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 brought them the brought them the property. Okay. And I guess basically the best way to pin them down is just come directly at them with it and say, "Here's what we've got. Do you agree? Let's negotiate it and go from there." That's correct. Yeah, but okay. I would I would certainly pin down before you do anything else what the find what the finder's fee is going to be is a certain percentage. If they make a deal and they sign a contract, then you get a fee, whatever the fee may be. A finder's fee equal to a certain percentage of the contract price. And uh, you know the, what the parameters they want. You submit it. If they, they like it, they buy it. If they don't, they don't, they don't. And Perfect. That's, a, that's fine, but uh, you, you don't take any personal liability here. Well, He'll show up with the money or not with the money and so forth. He's he's telling you he's a, he's a ready buyer. The way you find out is if you if you can produce something in, the, in line with the letter of in, the letter of intent that he has in mind, and yeah. you'll see quick enough whether he says yes or he backs out or figures out some reason not to do it or whatever it is. You'll uh, when you when, when it gets to that point, you'll have a, a a legitimate customer or just somebody who's got a lot of talk. Okay, perfect. I'm just afraid not to waste my time. No, with getting money type of thing. That's what I want to avoid. No, 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 no. Don't waste your time and don't get it and don't sign it up and don't do any negotiation of the contract yourself. Good to know. So say, here's what I got. Here's the property. Here's what it's going to cost you. And uh, this is he likes it. To, he he tells he tells you yes and then go ahead. If not, uh, he it's, you can certainly submit something to him and said, is this in you want me to pursue further? If he says yes, you pursue it further. But that's as far as it goes. When you finally get get down to a, a concrete proposal, that's his that's his decision to say yes or no. Okay, perfect. Perfect. That's exactly what I was, I was hoping to know. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, next um, next question is from Mark and Tammy. Um, are you on the line? You may need to press star six to unmute. Here, I'll, I'll unmute you. Are you there? Can you hear yes, us? we're here. Perfect. Hi. Hello, George. Thank you for your Hi, time. how are you? Very well. How are you? Good. Good. So this is a little bit of a lengthy question, but I'll kind of um, get to the, 
the main point of it. You know, we have educational program that we do for multifamily investing. We also buy apartment complexes ourselves. We teach other people how to do that. And we do events. And we have a a pretty decent uh, following, I guess, somewhat. But somebody else in the industry that does, has a lot of uh, online presence, very big online presence. Mm-hmm. and doesn't really do events in the multifamily space, he reached out to us and asked if we would help him um, complete some transactions where he needs some help on complexes that are maybe too big for what he's done in the past, uh-huh. for, but mostly for his students. And we, we started doing that. I think that's totally fine. We don't really see any issues really with that because we get to say we want to help you or not. If we like the deal, we can. If we don't like it, we, we don't. But um question kind of, comes up we've been talking a little bit further with him around maybe trying to combine forces for the educational piece as well mm-hmm. and coaching students so it'd be online um, events and then kind of one-on-one coaching for students as well to teach them how to buy properties um, again he kind of has a bigger online presence we have a bigger event presence than him and, and truthfully we're a little more experienced than he is although he he, pretty, he has a good reputation in, in the market Mm-hmm. So the question kind of is, you know, there's some obvious issues with that, but what do you think about trying to combine forces with somebody that we essentially do the same thing? So right now we're competing against each other a little bit, um, although he's in Northeast and we're in, we're in Dallas. And how, if we looked, if we did say yeah, we're in combined forces, how would we potentially structure that where we bring some students in and he has students and then we have new students and things of that nature? Um that's good. I, I hear. I hear you. the The idea is is great. Uh, it's difficult because you're, you're coming from different backgrounds in different places, and you each do the same thing, but you always do separate separate things. Uh, as far as a partnership is concerned, I think it think it could work. Uh, but I only see it as a fifty fifty partnership. Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's, that's a big thing too. Whatever, whatever comes up and then you don't split hairs as to who brought what, who did the coaching and who it is. And the key really is to have the partnership agreement done before you start doing business together. And one of the main elements of the partnership agreement is what I call a divorce clause. If you can't get along, how do you separate it out? Right. That, that, and that's easy to do when there's nothing on the table. Right. And that's at the beginning. Later on, as the, the, the partnership evolves, it's going to be more difficult to do or impossible to do because the question is, did, did I bring in this coaching assignment or did you bring in the event and do we make money on the event? How much money did right. we make? Did we lose? And it's going to end up to be a real mess. Right. So what you have to do is early on, put your heads together and say, yes, we think it's got merit, but what happens if it doesn't work out, if either of us is unhappy or somebody dies where well, there's a problem? But how do I, right. what do we do now? Right. So that's, uh, it's not insurmountable by any means, but requires a lot of thought in the initial process. And it's easy to do when there's nothing on the table. Yeah. Later and, on. And we, what? Late, oh later yeah, on, no, it's, it's, it, it could be impossible, or okay. or the subject of bitter litigation. Yeah, and we we're kind of going through that right now with the operating agreement we have for the transaction piece, and that's where this has kind of come up a little bit. Which is so we're we're kind of working through that a little bit right now. 
around tag along clauses and things like that. So that's that's good. Um, yeah, and you, well, and you see, and you, there's nothing wrong in the agreement uh, to outline what each the respective obligations are of each or duties of each of the partners. That's so good. you you do the events if that's what it is, and he does who does the marketing and who does and what what areas you're going to be involved with, and, and so that you don't get in each other's way, but you work together as a team. Right. So okay. that, which is also fairly fairly difficult to do because you're coming from slightly different backgrounds, albeit you're all in the same real estate field and coaching field. But right. there's no reason that you can't uh, you can't outline in the agreement itself exactly what the responsibilities are and uh, go from there. That's and later right. on, you right. can uh, once you have once you have the agreement and how you're going to split profits, whatever they are, and split expenses. Then uh, you can always modify it to do something to add something or one way or another. Somebody may bring in may bring in a new a new project which has uh, better benefits, so you're not going to split fifty fifty on that new project. But in the in the initial setup to what you're doing, it's relatively simple because you, you're both making a contribution. You don't know the real value of the contribution that you're making. Right. What What are your thoughts? George, around the the brand, we both have a brand recognition. We're rather creating a new a new company and well, that that is the, the the problem you have. Well, this this is something that you're going to have to decide. Preferably, uh, I would say you have the brand recognition. Keep them separate if you can, because then if okay. you get a if you get a divorce, it's easy. But on the other hand, if you put it together. And you have one brand, one name. Yeah, the answer is sure. You're gonna. It may end up certainly to be better because it gets it's it's larger. It's more recognition. You got more variable parts that you. But that just says good. What do we do now if we if we terminate? What happens? Who gets what? Right. Who gets the brand and that, that? So it's it's part of the same basic provision, which is the extremely important. Is what happens if we have to unwind? Okay. Perfect. Yep. Definitely appreciate it, George. Thank you. You're George. welcome. Okay. Good luck. It's a. It's a. It's Thank got you. lots of lots of possibilities, but also lots of problems. Right. Yeah. Thank for you. Sure. Thank you. George, I was thinking about this particular question as well, and and wondering if there aren't in fact three possible cases that uh, Mark and Tim consider. I'd be interested to get your thoughts. So. If there's a scenario where a transaction happens where one of the parties benefits, then there's maybe some kind of affiliate marketing payment that would apply. If, and then vice versa, if if the other party, only one party benefits, then there's a, a reciprocal affiliate marketing payment. And then there's a third case where if they do something together, it gets treated, you know, a, a third way. That way it's kind of clear where they work together, where they don't, and and how the all the various gives and gets happen. Now, maybe that's overly complicated. What do you think? No, it's not overly complicated, except insofar as to try to keep the the very the, the various parts separate. In other words, you you may have uh, some one party may do ninety percent of the the bringing in the work, and the other party does ten percent. And the party that gets that does the ten percent says I should be entitled to fifty percent or forty percent, and the other so well, I did brought it in, I get the ninety percent. So the split becomes more difficult unless you can keep the transactions or the business physically separate, so that you know 
what's involved with personnel and what's involved with money and how you're going to split it up. And uh, that's becomes difficult, but it is doable. Right, right. And uh, uh, bringing it back now to my uh, the law firm, law firm, we always had the basic problem. How do you split up? Who, who's, who's more important, the one that brings in the client or the one that services the client? And how do you split up? Well, I brought up a client without without this, you wouldn't have legal fees. The other says, yeah, without my doing the work, you wouldn't have the, the nobody gets billed. So you you get a, a dispute between the, the various parties that they're doing different functions, which ultimately brings in, in monies to the entity. But the question is now who's more valuable or how do you figure out the value? That's and how, how did you resolve that in the law firm? Very easy at that point. I said I had four partners. We each have equal shares. So that we're not going to get down, go down that road. Road. But I, I can't can't tell you that it didn't didn't create some problems later on where, where somebody says I work harder and bring in more money and why are you getting the same amount I am? But initially we started out and say good we're going to, going to get past that by giving equal shares. So we all get the, our share, our equal share of the partnership proceeds, regardless of where they came from. So that's how we solved it. When you, if you try to do anything else, it becomes more, more difficult. You know, there's, there's some logic to it being equal. Right, right. But I can't tell you there weren't, there wasn't antagonism along the way, you know, at various times. But you said, hey, this is what it is. This is what we agreed with. This is what we signed. We all agreed to this, and uh, we all live with it. And there were, I can tell you, there was lots of times that I was unhappy because I was doing all the work, and the guys were just bringing in clients. But nevertheless, that's what we agreed to, so we lived by it. And we all made money, so it, was, it worked out. Right. Okay, very good. So, I don't know. It's very good, but it's, it's it's that's to me that's the right way to do it, the easiest way to do it, without in the long run, not in the short run. Short run, you got to put it together, and the parties have to agree. And one party always figures out that their value to the entity is worth more than somebody else's. But good luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right, George. The next question. Is, is one that actually involves my business, but it's, it's one that I think is fairly generic in, in terms of having broad applicability. When you have capital partners that put in equity, their equity interest in, in, uh, in a partnership is, I think, fairly easy to figure out. Where it, it's getting a little bit more murky is when someone is asked to sign on uh, to be a, a signer or a co-signer or a guarantor on some bank debt. They're not actually bringing money directly, but there is some value to that signature. And so now the question is, and if it's multiple signatures, like, and or let's say some partners want to sign, other partners don't want to sign, how do we actually attach some shareholder value to being willing, to being willing to signing on the debt? Well, you can use that. You can attach their hold of value by giving them a, give a larger return somewhere along the line. So if, if they take uh, if, if they take the secondary liability on the debt and say, okay, we will personally sign, which I don't 
heartily recommend by any means. Usually the property or the entity should stand on its own without having a, uh, a personal obligation. So, but if there is a personal obligation and somebody signs and they have assets uh, and they're recognized by, by the, uh, the lending institution as having value, they should get paid something for that privilege, for, for signing on, even if they never get called upon, because they are taking on additional liability. It's just a question of how you're going to uh, compensate them. What type of additional bonus or benefit are they going to get because they've, uh, they, they stuck their neck out where somebody else didn't? Mm-hmm. But they're certainly entitled to it. But my my think is is this is usually they I don't know why you, you you should have personal liability can't you make the loan without personal liability let the property stand by itself or at this you put up some kind of a letter of credit uh, or you a fund at that point where everybody's already signed up so that's the you know they, you put up they've all taken on and uh, and, and purchased a uh, a share of a letter of credit, which serves as the security in lieu of having somebody sign. In other words, that's the the bank will take that also as the additional additional potential liability. Right, right. And if you do that, you don't have to worry about somebody signs or not sign. You all got to say. I mean, as a partnership, we had a you know, if, if we, we took out a loan, we were all liable as partners. End of story. So it's, it's something akin to what you have here, but it, uh, they're entitled to con- some type of compensation if you make a distinction between who is who is secondarily liable and who is primarily liable on on any shortfall of the debt. Okay, all right, very good. Okay, this next question comes from Raja. I'll unmute you here. Raja, are you there? E, we are both here. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Hi, hi, hi. Hey, hi, Jordan, hi, hi. How are you? This is uh, this is Jared and Raja from uh, Las Vegas, sunny Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh-huh. Have, uh, a rather uh, perhaps unique situation in the entertainment industry here in uh, hot Las Vegas. We have a show um, which is essentially in Las Vegas acts as its own independent business. And the way you partner with the hotel uh, is the show itself uh, acquires investors. Uh, The investors um, invest in the show and then the show goes into the property, essentially paying the property rent. It's what they call here in Vegas a four wall deal. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, the, the situation right now is we have an opportunity to go into a very nice strip property. We have investors ready uh, to sign checks. Um, the parties are basically us and our investors, the hotel property, and then the promoter. The promoter mm-hmm. is contracted by the hotel to take care of all their entertainment, to contract entertainment, uh, to do the marketing, to basically put all the butts in seats. Um, now, because we are not being produced by the promoter, they do produce shows as well. Um, in this particular property, there are three time slots. There are two later time slots where the promoter is um, producing both shows, so they have a vested interest in the success of those two shows. And we are going into the earlier time slot not as a produced entity, but as a four-wall deal for the property. 
Mm-hmm. So our concern is in structuring the the deal, the agreement with the hotel, with the promoter, so that we get essentially equal attention, equal attention, equal exposure, um, and that the 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 what we get back in terms of our marketing uh, is equal to that of the other two shows. Um, in the property, so I the the question comes down to the structure of the deal, and <laughs> whether as to what you have any suggestions in how to structure a deal like this. Well, it's a it's it's a, it's a complicated deal because of the layers that you that that are involved. Uh, exactly. <clears throat> but the first thing that, that this comes to mind is what rights do you have from with the hotel in other words what what's the agreement between the promoter and the hotel do they have does he have a uh, a lease or a license or a contract or something that you know that you're going to somewhat be protected under the terms of uh, of his agreement and then you have to provide whatever agreement that he has some uh protection that the promoter will honor that agreement to protect your interest in the in the show, in mm-hmm. the venue, mm-hmm. right? And there, there's an awful lot of good faith involved in what you're talking about. I know, I know that's that. It. So that you got to be satisfied with, and you know, if it works or doesn't work. And the fact that he's also got other shows at the same time or other pieces of it, uh, that makes it makes it much more difficult because uh, he may may not look at you as being as as valuable as the other two. Because he's making more money or what have you, or they're filling more seats and, and therefore it's got more value. So it's a problem how you're going to get your equal share of uh, of, of the, the time or the, or the space uh, to do it. So uh, it can be done. There's no nothing to say it can't be done. But with the promoter, he's got to you got to uh, he's got to agree on what it will do. So he'll give you the time slot, and that you have that time slot, and what you're going to pay for the time slot, and he's not going to take it mm-hmm. away, and that he's mm-hmm. not and with the other shows at this point, he can do what he wants, but they shouldn't affect where your time slot and what you do with yours. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's that's pretty well the way we were we were thinking about that. Yeah. The second uh, second sort of part of the question now is he is doing actually, indi- is he doing individual marketing? You market each show separately, I assume, or marketing yeah, the yeah, he's marketing yeah. the the event individual. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, this promoter, particular promoter, they do contracts where they act as just a marketing firm, and they do that very well. Okay. What, also, what kind of what kind of track record has he got? Very good track record. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, How long they handle, they handle? Oh, ten. 15 years they've been working with shows all around Vegas. Okay. A very good track. Record. Got a good reputation. Really... Fine. Okay. Yes. Yes. Very good reputation. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I suppose a lot of that, like you said, this is going to be very faith based. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, uh, a, lot second, of it, a, lot of it, a lot of it involves the good, the good, the question of good faith. That's, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Because of the nature of the arrangement, but there's nothing you can yeah. do about it because that's a, you're not dealing directly uh with one entity you're dealing with a promoter who promotes shows and he's he's basically wholesaling and he's he's wholesaling the space and the time slots from the hotel and then utilizing it for his benefit right okay so that extra layer makes it more complex but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it 
Right, right. The the second part of the question really is our deal with our investors. Um, it, it's going to be it's going to require a capitalization of a few hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, in order to, in order to ramp up the show, ramp up the marketing, ramp up the whole business. Mm-hmm. And in Las Vegas, the general scenario is it takes nine months for a, yeah. for a show to gain traction and then to actually start turning a profit. Mm-hmm. So instructing instructing the deal with our investors. Um, do you have any offhand, any suggestions, any guidance that you could offer us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, guidance is, is put a, put a, a value on your, what you're doing, on you got the show. In other words, say, say that somebody's putting up, uh, your, your uh, number at that point, you're figuring uh, you're going to raise a half a million dollars. Yeah. How much value you're going to put on, on your, whatever you're doing and putting it together and running it. So it's not unusual for you for them to agree on a value in the, in the first instance. So you could say, look, you're, you're going to put up five, 500,000 in all cash just to take a number. And meanwhile, you're putting up 500,000 and putting the whole package together, the equivalent of 500,000 of value. And now when I you see. split it up, you split up the, you split up the, the, the benefits of the million dollars. So that value, is that something we sort of mutually have to agree upon? Yeah. The, our value of what we're putting in, our act, our talents, our That's product, correct. Uh, That's correct, which is not cash. So you got your furniture, you're making the whole thing go, mm-hmm, right? You're exactly. making the whole thing right. go, and that has an agreed value, and a value yes. is what you agree on in the first instance, because without mm-hmm. they don't have the investment. But it's not really a problem in the first instance because they know that you have a uh, you you're putting value you're putting the whole thing together. The only thing is how much is that worth? Yeah. How do you right. get paid? Or do they get a priority or do you get a priority? Mm-hmm. Now, and that would determine the split on the back end, wouldn't it? The split on the back end and who gets what when. Now it's yeah, possible. Exactly. It's possible to get uh, really uh, in compli- uh, complicated by. You can agree that they will get a certain return on their money out of cash, pro- out of profits. In other words, but it's accrued, so they would get it. Right. Uh, pick a pick a number out, say seven percent, and I'm only picking a number out at this point. They would get right. an right. approved seven percent before you get anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, however, right. that point once this is not giving them back capital. This is now giving them a return on their investment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then. On the next step, if they've got that return, you get paid something from the next proceeds or the next profits over and above the 7% for your interest. Yeah, got it. All right. Now, and it's so, and it could be an entirely different number. Uh, then having done that, then the next question is good. How do you, how do they, how do you get paid part of the principal? Assuming that, that there's money that's, that you've taken out or both parts taken out and there's now some money left over. How do you turn back mm-hmm. to your investors? Also, as far as you're concerned, how do you get back your share? Right. It's possible that when the investors get fully paid off, so they've not got the 7%, if they just as a number, and in addition, they're fully paid off, hey, you don't need them anymore. They're gone. Right. Except that right. they have have some kind of a, a, a retained interest in going forward as being that's part right. of the original transaction. But that's how that sits in connection with you is not nearly on an equal basis. <coughs> so right, it's, okay. it's, uh, it's something 
that, that initially you do, but I think the key and it's relatively simple is to have them agree to a value of your services as against the cash that they're putting in. And that's not unusual. Right. <laughs> in Got other it. words, a, a builder of a builder of property could say, hey, I'm going to put in my building expertise and you put in the cash and here's how we split. 50, 50, right. 75, 25 or what have you. And uh, that the, they're furnishing two different elements. One is the expertise and the other one is the cash to make it work. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, that's um, sort of what we were thinking anyways, but that helps to hear from, from you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Good, and good luck. It's a, it's an interesting proposition. It be, don't make it overly complicated by putting one behind the other, because then what happens is somebody ends up with, may end up with the short end of the stick or the long end of the stick. And if you agree <laughs> right. upon it in, in the first, the first instance, it's relatively simple. Right. I would right, say keep right, it, keep it, it simple. The transaction well, is complicated you, enough without making the investment in it more complicated. Right. Well, if you yeah. get out to Las Vegas, come see the show. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> Good luck Thanks, with George. it. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay, what's next? So next, George, um, we've got a property sale uh, this is a, an, an issue that came up in, in one of our projects, and this is a property sale that didn't conclude. The buyer actually defaulted on the purchase. Mm -hmm. and the buyer owed a total of $40,000 in deposit monies, and that was advanced in two checks, first check of 16000 and then a second check of 25000 and I know that doesn't add up to 40 It adds up to 41 adds up to 41 But the second check seems to have gone missing and was never received by the broker. Now, we sent them a notice of default, and the eventually the buyer offered to partner with us and bring additional capital to develop the property as a remedy for the default on the sale. So far, we've declined that. Um, mm -hmm. Now, we've got another buyer for the property, and we ended up accepting an offer that was $150,000 less. So, really, we've actually suffered some rather real damages. Yeah, and the full forty thousand deposit is owing to us, not just the sixteen thousand that was cash. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what do we do? You know, he still owes us another twenty, let's say twenty-four thousand. Um, it hardly seems worth uh, initiating a lawsuit for twenty-four grand. Um, right. You know, the buyer himself is an attorney. He's arguing that he'll. So it, it, it was he on the who's who's on the contract? He is. The buyer, personally, his his entity of which he is an oh. officer. Oh, that's different. Okay, yes. but the entity is is the one uh, a single transaction entity, just for this purpose, or does it have other assets? It has other assets. All right, I would sue. It's relatively simple. It's a simple lawsuit, not involve a tremendous amount of time and effort. And it's the one that you win on summary judgment. This is not going to have a trial. Okay. That's all. Uh, you know, just this, you present the facts. And I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw him because of the fact that he didn't, that something happened with the 25 grand. Right. Absolutely. That's the verified check or a check or what have you at that point. I, uh, it's not correct. And the fact that he wanted to partner makes it worse. Becomes more suspect. Mm-hmm. 
but I would I would definitely sue. Not a problem. The problem not not going to be time. Not going to be a situation where you're going to spend a lot of money, and it's a relatively easy lawsuit to get a judgment on. And once you bring the pressure on it, something will happen. What will probably happen at that point along the way is you'll say, hey, instead of instead of giving you twenty five thousand, how about taking twenty? You'll work out some kind of settlement, and then you have a decision of whether or not it's worthwhile to take the twenty and run or to finish with the lawsuit but I think the lawsuit the lawsuit's a good lawsuit and easy to win okay and and the fact that he's an attorney that uh, makes it easier to win he's not he's going to start and say well I, I I can do it myself so it's not so easy to do it yourself and uh, a lot of the when you get to get before a judge judge doesn't like an attorney basically who signs and is uh, is backing out of a deal so I would pursue it. I mean, one of the things that, you know, with this second deposit check that quote unquote went missing, he sent us a, an image of the check. It was a cashier's check. Yeah. It means he dropped it off at the broker. He never got a receipt. The broker never received it. Um, it almost. That's phony. It absolutely. That's phony. Absolutely. That's You're dealing with a, with a, with a flake. I would imagine the bar association would look rather dimly on something like this. Is there a, a, a grounds to make it? <clears throat> well, I wouldn't necessarily go in the, I don't know. There is, there is grounds to make the, make the complaint, but since he took it in an entity and it's an entity check, uh, it, it, it's, it's hard to, uh, uh, to, to, you know, to, to get the bar association to put some, put some pressure on. Although I could certainly suggest that you, suggest it when you proceed. In other words, you say, hey, what you did is the check and the, and you, we, the, the, the lost check for the 25000 and you say this is an image, which we never got at that point, I think that that might be something the Bar Association would be interested in. Mm-hmm. That may be enough to shake him. But it sounds to me like he doesn't really care because he's a flake to start with. Right. But use it. I wouldn't do it, but I say you use it as a threat. Okay. All right. Very good advice. Very good advice. Okay. Okay, George, the next one involves a student of mine, and he owns a technology company that is currently being negotiated for sale. And Mm -hmm. the acquiring company wants to buy the assets but not the liabilities, so they don't want to acquire the entity. They want the staff, the equipment, and the customers to be transferred to the new company. But mm-hmm. many of the equipment assets were purchased with debt and leased to the clients. So clearly, at least a portion of that debt is directly associated with the leased assets and should be paid for by the acquiring company. The overall debt of the company encompasses more than just the fixed hardware assets. So I guess the question is, how would you suggest that he negotiate the allocation of the purchase price for the fixed assets? Um, otherwise- well, is there is, <clears throat> okay? Is there one loan? Is there one blanket loan that covers covers the the company and also the uh, the the assets, the equipment? No, I don't think there is. I think there's a um, a separate know, some- loan probably covering the equipment and lease some- the equipment, lease back. Yeah, I don't think it's as clean as simply saying, you know, this entire loan is just equipment. I think the I think it's mixed. All right, but 
no, but is there a separate is there a separate allocation for the equipment in the loan? I don't think there is. Someone would have to basically go through and calculate the depreciated value of the assets. Uh huh. That that's probably the only way I could see realistically doing it because they were acquired at different points in time. Yeah. But basically, at this point, how much is is owing on the equipment? Is that a separate separate loan on the equipment? Probably. I don't think it is. Uh-huh. I think it. I think well, it's mixed in with other debts. Uh huh. Well, that's a, it's a, it becomes more complicated unless mm-hmm. you kind of get the uh, the the lender, uh, whoever it is, on the equipment to agree to. Uh, separate out the loan on the equipment and keep the the rest of it in in place. But how do they get paid? Now, when the company goes out of business, how does the lender get paid? Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that the buyer, uh, you know, pay the seller for essentially the book value, the depreciated book value of the assets as part of the cash payment, not as part of any future earnout or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise, once you transfer the uh, the assets but not the liabilities, the the, the seller is exposed. Yeah, but they 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 can they can, don't I understand that, it, but the the buyer can take on the liability without not personally, but just buy buy basically the the physical assets of the company. Mm-hmm. And also, they're, they're they're whatever they've got in the way of contracts or contract all of that. And as far as the the assets are concerned, or the the machinery, or the, the equipment, or what goes with it, at that they they separate that out and say, hey, I'm 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 buying that too, uh, and understand, but they're not taking on the, the personal liability. I think it's a question the buyer is not does not want to be personally liable, which I could understand, but nevertheless, having that, the they can't ignore the fact that there is a, a combined loan which also covers the equipment. So while they may not say, I'll pay it, it's still there. So you're buying an asset with a liability. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. But what would what would be required is to specify out what is still covered still be covered by the outgoing company which is now just getting cash or will be taken care of so they have the continued liability and what is what is to be continue or to be paid by the uh the incoming purchaser who is buying the assets but not basically the company so you can separate it out but it's 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 cumbersome, but it can be done. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the thoughts that I had was to basically break it into three pieces. One is an asset purchase agreement, which would cover yeah. the physical assets. Yeah. The second would be a transition services agreement that would talk That's about fine. how the staff provide the transition right. business. Right. And then That's an assignment third. agreement for the actual customer contract, so you would attach a value. Of those to those contracts the, to that revenue stream. Yeah. So, so what the hell do you need me for? You're doing it right. Okay. <laughs> I I don't presume that I'm perfect. Doing... I could I wouldn't I I can't I can't improve on that. That works fine. Okay. It's a great idea and it works fine and it's just a question of figuring out the respective valuations. 
mm-hmm. for each of the each of the uh, facilities, each of the contracts or the the phase of the contracts that they're doing. But conceptually, it's great, and then and it, when it works, and that's a that's a, a wonderful solution if they if they all agree to it. And there's no reason that they shouldn't, but it's going to be hard to put the valuations because there are a lot of intangibles there. Right. So when you figure out what's the what's the this always that always happens when somebody has what is the goodwill that's involved in the sale? What's the value of goodwill? Because it's not tangible. Well, in this particular instance, these are long-term service contracts, um, Uh and and clients rarely terminate the contracts. So the you know the longevity is there, although theoretically they can cancel at any time, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. No, you you you, you're doing fine. Tell me, go do it. You 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 don't need me for this. (laughs) Okay. You came up with a with a with a great solution, and it does work if the parties agree to it. There's no reason why they shouldn't want to, shouldn't agree to it, assuming assuming that they want to conclude the transaction. Right. So you're not going to force them to buy the 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 total the total total company and everything because there's too many. There could be warranty problems. There could be representation problems. So they're saying, I want to buy a clean a clean company, but the nature of this company is not. Is is not right away so clean, you know, because the assets uh, are are used in connection with the with the but the nature of the business. But to go, you know, you, you got it, you got it covered. It's uh, it's complicated, but you, you know, you're doing it right. Super, that's great. Thank you, George. You're welcome. The the next question really covers a series of conversations that I've had with, boy, it seems almost like a weekly conversation. And, and the marketplace today in general is feeling very frothy. You know, prices are very high in many, many segments of the market. And even for myself, I'm looking at things and I'm seeing uh, prices that make no sense to me. And I'm happy to be selling into that environment but it's made purchasing new projects extremely challenging. Now, I don't want to compromise my standards. I don't want to, uh, you know, buy things that look like they're financially upside down. I want to stick to a mm-hmm. financial model that feels secure. Now, I know there have been circumstances when, for example, uh, your former boss has bought, bought things at overmarket price, but in, in hindsight made sense. Can you talk a little bit about the specific circumstances where you think it's actually okay to overpay a little? Well, it's not okay. First of all, uh, boiling down, you know, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, you know, when you're dealing with a with a with what what you what is overpriced, that's whether it's overpriced or heated. It that this is a, a something it's philosophical at a point in time. It may not be. It may look that it's high, but in in realism, it's just a it, it, it's higher than it was. But there's still a tremendous potential for growth at a later point in time. So it's a it's a question of uh, having faith that over the period of time, the transaction, especially when it's real estate, will appreciate in value enough for you to basically overpay than or what you feel you are overpaying. So it, it depends to a great extent on location and what the market is, uh, but it's hard to pin down a market. And the instances, I mean, he, he, Donald had paid had paid very high prices, but he 
you know, the story, location, location, location. And found out that to said I would do it when everybody thought there was the wrong thing to do. But over a period of time, it turned out that the location paid off because the area was that good. But it takes uh, it takes courage to go in, to go into the, against the try the tide. But the, the money is to be, the real money is to be made when you when you go against the tide. When you sell when nobody else wants to sell, you buy when nobody else wants to buy. I can't help you on that one. That's too it's too much of a uh, it's, too broad. Uh, it's 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 not too broad. It's personal. Yeah, it's personal. So how how many times have you have you had something you said, gee, that was a good deal. I wish I went into it because it turned out to be great. And the other times you say, I'm glad I stayed out of it because it turned out to be bad. That's fine when you're sitting on the sidelines. But meanwhile, you, when you have to make the decision, you're not on the sidelines. You're there, and you have to hope you guessed right. And also over a period of time, mm-hmm. so that you can figure figure that over a period of time it'll appreciate in value, and I'll get back whatever the excess was. But that's the nature of real estate, you know it. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, the next question um, is uh, involves uh, Jackie and Desiree, but I'll ask the question on on their behalf. And this is a six-acre waterfront property in the south end of our city, about 20 minutes from the downtown core. It's very desirable, or at least we think it is. But it's, When you say the south end of the city, what city are we talking about? Ottawa. Okay. Yeah. But it's, clo- it's located actually fairly close to the airport. It's on the Rideau River, very close to the airport. And the city's imposed a moratorium on development within the boundary, within the airport noise boundary. Now, according to one document, the actual interpretation of the boundary falls right through the middle of the property, so only half of the land could be developed. Another document suggests that none of the land can be developed. The seller is adamant that the land can be developed, and he's produced multiple arguments based on conversations with the city and various documentation to support his point of view. And our own independent uh, engineering consultant, believes the land cannot be developed at all because of the airport exclusion zone. Okay. Now, the the previous approvals that the seller had achieved have expired. The rules have changed. Uh, so going, th- you know, those documents are interesting but irrelevant. So we'd have to go through the process right from the very beginning, which means that we wouldn't really know what we have until at least six to nine months after owning the property, if yep. it can ever be developed. And I can't base, no. we can't base a decision solely on what the seller is saying. It requires independent verification. Any so what's thought, the decision? Well, if I had to make the decision based on just what we, the information we have today, the only decision we could make is to walk away. So what's your problem? The land is either What's worth a lot or it's worth nothing. Is there? No, you can't. But you can't. You can't the, 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 here you're dealing with a a highly political issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And a hot, either it's political or at that point it's going to end up with major list, major litigation. Without a permit, the property is worth zilch. Correct. All right. And in order to get a permit, you're going to have to tangle with this with the airport. Correct. And whoever, whoever put the restrictions on it. And that, that's a major, major problem. Talking 
time, money, and over a long over over a period of years. And it's at best you don't know how it's going to come out unless for some reason you got such political pull that you, that you somebody's going to guarantee you're going to get the permit from the politicians or the authorities that 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 uh, are going to grant it, which is very difficult at at, at any time. And you're not there. Don't you, my gut reaction without any problem is is life is too short for this type of a problem. Walk. That's pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty clear. Yeah. No. Without it, it can't. It, 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 this is like buying property that's going to be subject to rezoning. If it's not subject, if you don't get the rezoning, what good is it? Mm-hmm. So unless you want to put in, you want to basically take take a, an option on the property. And uh, subject to your getting the zoning or getting this this restriction lifted or clarified to a position that you're going to have with a permit, and then you you lock in, and if you can't get that, you have no choice. You can't you can't take the risk. Right. That's that's probably the only way would be to do some kind of option agreement where even the option yeah. consideration. But even though it's not worth the effort. Yeah. Not worth the effort. Yeah, with the other properties you don't have the aggravation. Why why go for this one? Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned a scenario where um uh, there's a zoning a zoning change and yeah. Uh we actually have another property where we actually so the property was purchased from the um the redevelopment authority for the city of Philadelphia and it came with mm-hmm. a restriction to develop the property as a multi-unit residential building. Right. And then the city downzoned the zoning in the area, including the property, from multi-unit to RSA 5, which is single family. Yeah. So we've put in the zoning. You can't, do, you can't, do, you can't do multiple anymore? That's what the zoning would say. So when we put the zoning application in, it came back denied, saying it's now zoned RSA 5. Meanwhile, we have a deed restriction that says if we don't build multi-unit within, I forget what it was, three years of acquiring the property, the property reverts back to the city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> catch 22. <laughs> that's a, that's a catch 22. Right. I I would think at this that that basically uh, what you could use or, or have is a local lawyer in Philadelphia to handle this and bring some type of a proceeding against the government. You may be, you may now, in fact, be protected because your grandfather didn't before the down zoning. You with me? Yeah, yeah. So we are, well, so I guess we could you might be. In other words, you could bring, you could make a good case, a good action that they that they have to give you the permit, that they they had no right to deny the permit because the fact that number one, the restriction you have from the city, and that you're being injured by the down zoning, mm-hmm. which was done, and you were there before the down zoning, and you have to that bill to basically. With the uh, authorities and whoever is who makes the decisions on behalf of Philadelphia, that they have to take into account that they put you into this box and they got to you. You shouldn't be there. You can't. You you bought the property in good faith, and you lived with the with what it, what the restriction was, 
and the fact that you were required to do it because the that's the basis under which you got it from the development authority and now the city has downzoned it willy-nilly or changed it and you no longer can comply so if you brought everybody into one into one legal battle uh, you, you'd probably get the thing resolved somebody so has to give the question so there's one of two ways we could play this one is to go back to them and say we'd like the property um to grandfather the multi-unit residential uh, did you not grant you argue you should be grandfathered well, you had it before okay and when you bought it this was there okay and you bought it based upon you based upon the that 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 zoning that then zoning which was there and the city the city basically shouldn't have, have down zoned it after because you were already protected and you had a right to right to do it or you were required to do it because that's the only way you could get it for the development authority it seems to me where do you get these <laughs> this is a land assembly that we put together over the Yeah, morning. I understand the land assembly at this point. What what I'm saying is if you brought everybody in, into court, yeah, and got them under this and asked for a declaratory judgment, I think you'd get relief. What if we decided we wanted to go the other way? What if we decided we would actually like them zoned single family? But we wanted them to release the deed restriction. Do you think we have a case? But for that's that? A, that, that's the same thing with the development authority. That's why I say if you bring everybody into a pot at this to go over there, then you get you're going to get somehow you're going to get relief, right? Because you're 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 stuck between between two different places. And I think yeah, the, the 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 certainly I think the the housing authority might agree to go with one family houses. How big is the piece of land? Oh, it's not very big. It's two lots. It's two uh, townhouse yeah. lots side by side. Yeah. Well, maybe they would agree with one family housing. I don't know. Whatever yeah. it is, you've got to bring them all into a court and let a judge decide it. And I think you get a resolution. Okay. Well, we've covered a bro- wide territory tonight. Everything from... We sure uh, have. <laughs> from Vegas to the East Coast. And uh, so as we're just about at the top of the hour, again, George, thank you for all of your wisdom, your insight, and uh, look forward to talking again next month for the rest of you That's on the good. call. Uh, I'm the, glad. You bring, me all, you bring me all the easy ones, I see. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> good, but that makes it interesting, and that's, what, uh, when, that's how we solve problems when somebody has problems. Exactly. Okay, so we'll see you next month. Or when, when, whenever the next one is. Yes. Thank you so much, George. Great. You have a wonderful evening. Okay. My pleasure. Bye. All right. Thanks. Bye for now.